Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your warm welcome to both me and my family who are here today. Um, my name's Lars, and I'm, I'm really, truly humbled um, to be with you this morning in this capacity. Um, I'm sure you might be wondering, uh, despite the wonderful introduction, uh, wh- why is this guy here? What's he doing here? Um, how did he end up here this morning with a microphone? Um, I'm the lead pastor at Hinsdale Covenant Church. We're in the western suburbs, um, and, and as Sonia said, our church has been partnering with, um, with NCO for several years, which has been a really great joy uh, for us to be able to do that. Uh, and through this partnership, I've gotten to know uh, a number of you, and, and particularly Pastor David, which has been great. David and I have been sort of running around each other in covenant circles for, for many years, but the last few years we've had an opportunity to to really sit down and talk about ministry and life together and do some ministry together, which has been um, a real gift. And, and when we were together this summer, he said, hey, I'm looking, looking forward to the fall and wondering if you want to come to New Community and preach uh, in November. And um, I was reticent to do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, life is busy and full at Hinsdale coming to church, and, and they're worshiping right now, uh, and uh, so it's just hard to get away, as I think you can probably understand, but second, and, and um, maybe poor, more poignantly, this is sort of against my preaching philosophy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own that for you, and the reason is this. Um, I believe that preaching and proclamation is best done in the midst of specific context by the people who are most invested in that context. Um, Another way of saying that is I could be the most gifted, charismatic, magnetic speaker in the world. You all know I'm not that already. I've only been up here for like 30 seconds, but you know that already. But even if I was, there's no way that I can speak to you with the same authority, uh, same authority and power as the shepherds who are over you here on a regular basis. It's like David and Michelle and Juan and Sonia and Kevin, these, these, these people who are invested in your community. They know you. They pray for you. They walk the streets that you live on. They weep with you. And the reality is I live in a very different community from this community. Our church is a 130-year-old covenant church. It's in a very professional corporate community. We're 21 miles, as Sony said, from, from you. But in many ways, if you were to drive those 21 miles, it would feel like a different world from where we are here. The median household income in the church, in the community where my church is, is $217,000 a family. The average home price, and I'm not making this up, is $999,000. The education level is extremely high. I do not say any of these things to brag to you. I'm letting you know the difference in context, right? And every single church has uh, barriers to following Jesus. We have some big ones. We have some big ones. But that's where I pastor. So based on the context where I live and I pastor, what could I possibly say that's of any importance for you here today? That's what I asked David when he asked me to come preach. I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you ask me to do this? And he replied, well, we're partners, right? And if we call ourselves partners, how can we really call ourselves partners if we don't know you? That's a wise man. That's a wise pastor. And I was convicted. And um, in that spirit... Let me just thank you, first of all, um, for your love and your care for this community, for Kenwood and Bronzewood and the places where you live. It's your faithfulness and your commitment 
to your neighborhoods and to this city that make partnership possible because here's the reality. My flock that I'm over in Hinsdale that I care for, um, if we're not invested in tangible ways in the city of Chicago, which is only 21 miles away from us, then we have massive holes in our discipleship. It's your faithfulness in following Jesus that allows us to follow Jesus. That's the reality. So what do I talk about today in the midst of these different contexts? I'm not your pastor. This is my first time here uh, on a Sunday morning, which has been fantastic. Our church contexts are really different. What, what can I say? And I decided that I was going to go um, and do some work in the letter to Colossae, the, the book of Colossians. And here's why. Um, of all of Paul's letters uh, in the New Testament, most scholars believe that, that the letter to Colossians was the one that was written to a church that he had never been to in a place where he had never been to. And I thought maybe um, there, it, there, there's some sort of way, if, if, it's worked, if it worked for the original hearers and it's worked for so many Christians since to listen to this letter and to glean some stuff, that you could do that uh, with, with me here today, that this might encourage you, convict you, that the Spirit might work in a similar way. And the reality is that the partnership between New Community and Hinsdale Covenant is not based on our location. It's not our de denomination primarily that connects us. It's based on our common discipleship. It's based on our commitment to journey and follow Jesus. That's what it's based on. We need you as brothers and sisters in order to follow Jesus well. So I'm pleased to share some thoughts on following Jesus from Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. I'm going to invite you to stand as you're able. I'm going to read that for us. If you have Bibles, you can feel free to turn to them. I'll remind you, as I like to do my congregation before I read, just be reminded that this is God's word for us this morning. Feel your feet on the ground. Take a deep breath. Know the truth that uh, any good words that come after what I'm about to read are just, they're kind of just extra. This is, this is, the, this is the real meat of the meal here. This is what God has for us as God's word today. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. May God add a measure of blessing to the reading of his word you can be seated. Keep your keep your Bibles out and open because we'll go back to them a few times. That word received uh, is my primary focus today, where it says, "As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord." What does that mean? What is Paul talking about when he says, "As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord?" Um, I received Christ as Lord when I was six years old. My father led me through an evening bedtime prayer, and I, in my own way, reached out to Jesus, and I asked him to, to be the king of my life. And I remember, in some sense, in a six-year-old's heart, that moved me deeply. Is that the kind of receiving that Paul is talking about in Colossians 2? Is that what he's talking about, receiving Jesus? Is that the way? Well, the word received, actually, throughout Scripture um, has a theme to it. And it's not typically regarding somebody who's converting to the faith or someone who's accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, as wonderful as that is. But rather, that word received is usually tied to the idea of tradition in Scripture, that you receive a tradition. And that was so important, particularly in Judaism. Remember that the Scriptures that we read 
came out of a world that was centered around oral tradition, where, where you, you didn't get your tradition from books, you got it from the people around you, and they shared those stories, and they passed them down from generation to generation. The handing down of these stories and these truths and the law and their interpretations came down from one generation to another. It was a very complex, um, beautiful, and effective system of how to pass down truth. And in many ways, the scripture that we read, even in the book of Colossians, is a passing down of tradition. It's a result of tradition being passed down. All the way back to Moses, who received the Torah from Mount Sinai, and then he delivered it to Joshua, and Joshua to the elders, and the elders to the prophets, and the prophets delivered it to the great men of the synagogue, and then one of the last rabbis in the period of Ezra, his name was Simon the Just, he delivered it to another rabbi who eventually delivered it to generations of great scholars like Hillel and Shammai who are responsible for the tradition of the Pharisees that we read about in the time of Jesus. These are things that have been passed down from generation to generation. So the idea of receiving in Scripture almost always is tied to this idea of tradition, and that's well held by the time that Paul's writing to the Colossians. Now, if you're following that train of tradition that I just laid out for you, the tradition of, of God and his work among the people, you'll notice that it ends with the Pharisees, which is kind of interesting because that's the group of people that Jesus was sort of constantly battling and correcting. In fact, it was the tradition of the elders that Jesus so loudly denounced in Mark chapter 7 when he says, you leave the commandments of God and hold fast to the traditions instead of men. If Jesus denounced the the tradition of the elders, seeing how it nullified basic principles of God's law, then why would Paul use the word receive, a word that was specifically employed to denote something that was passed down by tradition? But here's what Paul does, and Paul's so brilliant. He constructs this verb in an interesting way. It is, for you grammar snobs, um, it is an active indicative verb. What that means is that it cannot be interpreted in any way passively. That's why we don't translate it as, just as Jesus was delivered to you. But instead, there's this active acceptance of the person who is at the center of that tradition. In other words, and this is the main point here, the Colossians have received Christ himself as their tradition, rather than just traditions about Jesus. And the rest of the chapter is going to explain the false traditions that surround this Colossian community. And Paul seems to be saying that traditions that are just about Jesus are not going to be sufficient for you to withstand the forces that are going on in your life and in the world. But Jesus himself, as your tradition, that's going to be a a, a sufficient safeguard against everything that's swirling around you. If I can illustrate for a moment, um, one of my passions is is artwork. I want to tell you about a story from uh, Pablo Picasso, uh, one of the most important artists of the 20th century, one of the most important artists of all time. Um, You can see... Many of his works in the Art Institute in Chicago, go take a field trip there today, it's worth your time. Um, he's, the, uh, he's the author of the, the Cubist Movement, Changed Art Forever. Um, he is widely known as one of the most influential artists ever. When he was 60 years old, in, in 1940, he was invited uh, to come to the town of Dordogne in France to these caves that had been discovered, the Lascaux Caves, because what they had discovered was um, ancient cave paintings in these, in these caves a few years earlier. Now, Picasso at the time when he was invited to go and see these, this primitive art, the earliest art that 
had ever been dated. Probably some, some scholars say it's like 17,000 years old. He's invited to go and see them. At this point, he uh, is, is a world-renowned artist. He actually experienced something that almost no artist had experienced before them, which is he actually had wealth in his lifetime. People actually appreciated his art in his lifetime. Um, he was selling uh, pieces of art for, for, for many millions of dollars at the time. He was at the pinnacle of his craft. And he was invited to go and see these cave paintings. And he descended down into the caves. And they brought lights with them. And you could see stories on the walls. You can see animals and hunters. You can see stories of the way that these people live their lives. There's color and there's movement and there's motion. You can go Google it today when you go home. Lasco Caves, incredible cave paintings. And, and Picasso went and, and he was down there for several hours and he came out and he was distraught. And somebody asked, what did you think of, what did you think of this artwork that's been discovered? And he said, I think that we haven't discovered anything since then. We've discovered nothing. Now, of course, that's not true, right? There were remarkable artistic discoveries and innovations over the last 17,000 years, for sure. Um, too many innovations to count. But the point of it is this. There's nothing like going back to the source. There's nothing like going back to the source. And for us, when we receive Jesus himself, the person of Jesus Christ as our tradition, rather than just all the traditions about Jesus, it's kind of like going down into that cave and being amazed and, and awed and humbled and, and realizing that while all the layers of tradition that have come since have created a lot of beauty and wonderful things, there's nothing like going back to the original. There's nothing like going back to the person of Jesus himself. So with this in mind and that illustration in, in your mind, um, I think the scripture begs two questions, at least to me as I read it. Um, pretty simple questions. What does it actually look like for us to receive Jesus himself? And then how do we know that we've received Jesus himself rather than just traditions about Jesus? How do we do it, and how will we know that we've done it? Um, as a six-year-old, like I said, I, I, I prayed the prayer, I suppose. I believe that I received Jesus in some sort of way that day. I don't minimize that at all. But however, I'd be lying if I didn't mention that at six years old, there was a lot of tradition that had to do with my receiving Jesus at that time, right? I felt some pressure at a young age because I wanted to be a Christian like my dad and my mom and my brother. I had a whole Sunday school tradition, which our kids are out in right now, that, that pushed me towards that moment of decision at six years old. The, the traditions that had been delivered to me are crucial. I, I celebrate them, and, and they ultimately led me to, the, to some sort of moment of decision at six years old. But let me, ask, let me ask that question. Do you think that experience was sufficient enough to carry me throughout all my life? And the answer is no. The tradition about Jesus that gets us to a point of knowing Jesus only goes so far. The, the tradition and commitment to Jesus laid the groundwork for a later stage of my life when I was a teenager when I really began to receive Jesus himself as my friend, as my companion, as my brother, as my Lord. So all of those things were wonderful, but it really wasn't going to Sunday school or church or camp or confirmation class or youth group that have ultimately allowed me to remain faithful. Those are all wonderful pieces, but all of those point to a reality of you need to know Jesus himself. G.K. Chesterton in his uh, amazing novel, The Man Who Was Thursday, um, has this incredible story. The main character, his name is Gabriel Syme. He has this encounter with God, and he undergoes a remarkable transformation. Um, he starts as a totally 
faithless person, no interest in God whatsoever, angry. And through his encounter with God that he doesn't know as God at the time, he becomes a man that's full of wonder. And at the end of the story, he, the character says this, Listen to me, cried Syme with extraordinary emphasis. Shall I tell you the secret of the whole world? It is that we've only known the back of the world until now. We see everything from behind, and it looks brutal. That is not a tree. That's the back of a tree. That's not a cloud. That's the back of a cloud. Cannot you see that everything is stooping and hiding a face if we could only get around and see it in front? Through this character, Chesterton is actually encapsulating his own experience of conversion to knowing Jesus and receiving Jesus. And what he's saying is, He's perceiving the same world as always, the same cloud, the same tree, but now his perception has been transformed completely by a perspective that he couldn't have imagined before. As he came in contact with the one true God, his perspective had completely changed. It was no longer him passively accepting the truth of what was in front of him, but actively accepting a new world with Jesus at the center. Later in a personal writing, Chesterton said, we know that this idea once inside of our heads, uh, once this idea is inside of our heads, a million things become transparent as if a lamp were lit behind them. You see, the tradition of Jesus can point us to Jesus. That's its goal. That's its point. But it doesn't transform the tree that's standing before us or the cloud that we see. When we receive Jesus himself, Rather than just traditions about him, it illumines our entire world. It changes our hearts. It makes us fit to to stand the world that we're in. It's really important to know that Paul is not dispelling tradition. Neither do I. Neither does Jesus, by the way. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And I'm thankful each day for the tradition that I grew up in, tradition that I now minister within, But make no mistake, if if we're only accepting traditions and things about Jesus, that's really a neutered gospel. It doesn't have power. This is what makes Christianity so incredibly amazing and so unique. Is that you're not invited into just a tradition or a philosophy or an ideology. You're invited by Jesus himself, the center of our faith, into a relationship with him. And that's exactly... Why God, why God sent his son Jesus into the world, because the traditions about God were not drawing the people of God to God's heart. It wasn't working. So he said, I'm going to come myself in the person of Jesus. The traditions were not changing trees into something more than trees. And he didn't want his, his people to spend their lives looking at the backside of the world. He wanted us as his children to get out in front. So, for those of you who have been delivered Jesus, just delivered Jesus in the way of tradition, for those of you who have been sold a form of Jesus amidst the package of tons of do's and don'ts, for those of you who have learned a lot about Jesus but really haven't been introduced to him personally, the good news is that he's here, he's in our midst, and he's ready to enter into a life-giving relationship with you. And the way that we transmit tradition in the church is is really important. The way that we do that in our own families and personally is important, but only if Jesus is at the center and he's the first and final word that's spoken. The Colossians 
what Paul's saying is, is you Colossian church, you don't merely have a tradition delivered to you anymore. You've received Jesus. He's in your midst. He's in your midst. Paul contrasts the Jesus tradition to the readily available philosophical tradition around the Colossian church. These traditions, which are well-crafted, well-thought-out arguments and illusions, are ultimately going to leave the Colossian church unfulfilled, while receiving Jesus himself is going to cause them to find their fullness in him. And, and in many ways, that's my prayer for all of you in a nutshell, as a church, um, that you would be a worshiping group of people, a critical community together that is continually and actively and earnestly receiving Jesus himself. Because he's here with you. And that you would point everyone around you to the reality of the present Jesus. Note, too, that the word um, in Colossians 2.6 of receive is plural. It's y'all receive. It's not individual. It's y'all. So you all in community help each other receive Jesus. You point each other to Jesus. And you continue to receive him. So how do we receive Jesus in the way that Paul lays out for us, we follow everything else he says in the letter of Colossians. We give him supremacy in our lives. We hop off of the throne of our lives. We give it over to Jesus instead. We proclaim him to be the key to life. We strive for relationship with him. We receive him in all things, not in the surface way that just traditions afford us. So the second question, how do we know that we've received Jesus rather than just traditions about him? How do, how do we know that we've received Jesus himself? What does that look like? And this is where Paul, again, is such a brilliant writer and, and, and makes such great rhetorical points here because he answers that question so ably in like a verse and a half. Um, so if you have your Bibles, look, look, look at this again. Follow along if you would. Be amazed at what Paul does. First in verse 6, he says, As you've received Jesus, how, how do you know you've done that? You continue to live your life in him. You continue to live your life in him. That's step one that those who have received Jesus himself are compelled to live their lives in him. This is a whole nother sermon. Ask, you know, one of your preaching team to, to preach on this sometime. But what does it mean to live in Jesus? What an incredible illustration, right? Living in him, living in his grace, in his truth, in his love, in the sphere of his spirit's power and work, living in the body known as his church, living in union with Jesus. If we're not compelled to, to, to live our life for and in Jesus, then I have, I have questions of whether we've really received Jesus himself. That's step one. Maybe it's time for us to encounter Jesus in a new way. And we do that by going back to the Gospels and Scripture. We ask good questions of those people around us who are so clearly living in Jesus. But in case you still don't know what it means to live in Jesus, Paul conveniently gives us four hallmarks for that. If you keep looking, what does he say? Be rooted building on the foundation of Christ with a stable faith that overflows in thanksgiving. Do you see that in verse 7 there? In other words, when you're living in Jesus, you are rooting yourself deep down into the truth of him as your source of life. You're building on that foundation of the person of Jesus and his gospels. And you are firm, when, you're, when you're firmly based on Jesus, your faith is established in such a way it's stable, that it's safeguarded against teachings and, and, and influences that are subversive and untrue. And that sort of faith is going to lead to gratitude 
Thanksgiving. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. Do you have thankful hearts? Are you overflowing with gratitude? Because of the manifestation of Jesus himself at the center of your life. And your opportunity to enter daily in fellowship with him. So I think that's a little snapshot of what someone looks like when they've received Jesus. They're seeking to, to live in him. They are seeing life much more than what's just in front of them. They walk with the light of Jesus illuminating their world. And, and i got to tell you that the absolute best part of my job, and, and I'm, I'm quite confident that anyone on your staff here might agree with me, um, is when I see somebody encounter Jesus in a real way and something clicks and they get it. That's, that's why I do what I do. That's what keeps me in it. I love when, when somebody, when it clicks for somebody and they realize that it's not about having all the right answers or having perfect church attendance. It's about relationship with Jesus. And, and I love this part of my job because then I get to watch Jesus change them. People who once lived in anger or, or fear or mistrust or anxiety or sadness or focused on status, all of a sudden they choose to live in Jesus and they put their roots down in him and they build on the foundation of the gospel and they foster a stable faith and they overflow with thanksgiving. That's why I'm in it. That's what I'm here for. I'll give you just an example from my community. Like I said, um, as you might imagine, discipleship is actually pretty difficult in my community. It's a beautiful place, incredible homes. Like um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty pristine community in many ways, but where there is affluence and there's comfort and there's workaholism, there are layers and layers and layers of barriers to following Jesus. And it takes a long time to undo those. So pray for us. Pray for us as we call people to follow Jesus in Hinsdale and in our surrounding communities. It's not easy work. Um, but I hang on to those stories of people who truly receive Jesus. Uh, I have a man in my church, a, a gifted, energetic, capable father. Um, he's an investment banker. And about a, a, a decade ago, he was, he was on a path to what most people would call the good life, right? He had kind of paid his dues in the business. He was, he was on the fast track to become a CFO kind of person in a, in a company. He could have made a ridiculous amount of money, could have driven the coolest car, could have bought a mansion in town. But about a decade ago, God started to grab his heart. Just when that path was, was happening, God started to grab his heart. And we started talking because he goes, man, I'm, I have this opportunity, but I'm, I'm watching peers in my community who have already done that. And they seem really deeply unhappy. <laughs> And they are detached from their spouses and some of their marriages are failing and they're absent from their kids. And they're consumed with maintaining this sort of ramped up lifestyle. And this became sort of a crisis for him where he's like, I, I see this vision of what I could do, but like, am I supposed to do this? And, and through some encouragement, he began to lean into scripture and he became really fixed on Jesus and, and he decided what he was going to do. He didn't even tell me he was going to do this. He's like, I'm going to go get a master's degree in Bible and, th and theology in the midst of my crisis. Not, maybe not the thing that I would have suggested for him. He had no plans to ever use them professionally in any way. He's still an investment banker. So there was no career thing like, I'm going to get a master's so I can go be a pastor or anything like that. What he just wanted to do is he just wanted to make sure that he was encountering Jesus himself. And that he wasn't just resting on the tradition that he grew up in. He's like, I don't want to settle for a lesser thing. I just want to make sure 
that I know who Jesus is, so I'm going to study scripture, and, and I want to make sure I'm receiving Jesus himself. And as he received Jesus and he grew in him, guess what? He decided not to take that path. He decided to actually take lesser jobs and but be on a path where he could play a catch with his son every day that he wants to. And he could coach his son's baseball team. And he made way less money. And he lives in a relatively modest house and he drives a normal car. But you know what? He's happy. And he's rooted. And for me, he's a model of generosity and sacrifice in our community. That's someone who's received Jesus, not just traditions about Jesus. Not well-crafted arguments about Jesus. He's received Jesus himself. And here's the deal. Tradition goes before you. It's going to be here long after all of us are gone. But tradition's not with you. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. He gives us a new world, a world where we don't have to settle for the backside of life. But where we're out in front, we're illumined, we're reoriented, full of wonder. So new community, my deep prayer for you is that you would receive Jesus himself and continue to build your life as a church community upon him. As you do the vital gospel work in this neighborhood, in these neighborhoods that you're from, as you combat the realities of gun violence, as you feed the hungry, as you instill gospel hope in the hopeless, it is absolutely crucial that Jesus himself is at the center of your ministry. Jesus himself. Accept nothing less. That's the foundation that you need to be building on here. So keep him central. Keep him on the throne of everything that you're doing. When you stray, come back and say, Jesus, I'm ready to receive you yourself again. And let's join together in that. Let's not do passive. Let's not just have something delivered to us. Let's receive Jesus. Let's root ourselves in gospel truth. Let's build on the foundation of our lives of Jesus together. And in doing so, we're going to find ourselves establishing our faith in Jesus so that we can withstand the uncertainties of this world. And we're going to overflow with thanksgiving. So shall I tell you the secret of the world? It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. He's our tradition. In our churches, in our lives, in our world, may Jesus be the first and last word, and may we receive him and continue to receive him and call one another to receive him. And may we overflow with thanksgiving. Let me pray. Lord, what an what a incredible gift that you give to us that you come to us yourself as Lord, as Savior, as friend, that you don't make us pass through tons of different passageways to get you. You, you come to us and you make yourself known to us. Lord, I thank you that you, through your son, Jesus Christ, that you stepped down into human history and you said, I want you to receive me yourself as a friend, as Lord. Lord, I pray for New Community Church that you would give them a sense of what it means to receive you yourself, your very presence here, even in this place this morning, and that you would sustain their focus and their fixation on you as the center of their ministry, as the center of their lives. Lord, for anyone here this morning who feels like they've strayed from your presence, 
for anyone here this morning who feels like they've received a whole lot of stuff about Jesus but never really known the real thing, would you speak to their hearts? Would you, through your spirit, speak to their hearts? Would you encourage them? Would you call them to you? And Lord, may your abiding presence in and among these people and in and among this ministry be the sustaining force that keeps them going. A celebration of your presence. And Lord, would you continue to bind our churches together in gratitude for who you are. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.